Welcome in to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, The Blue Box. Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you on this Friday afternoon. A busy Friday afternoon, the first one in October as there's a lot of sports going on right now and we got a lot to talk about in just an hour. We're going to kick it off with a little bit of college football week six. We'll get into the MLB playoffs a little bit after that. We talked earlier today with Scott Shelton at Troy University covers the football team over there. Mizzou taking on Troy tomorrow afternoon, 3 o'clock. Tiger pregame live presented by El Rancho starts at 2 o'clock. So we'll get the insight on Troy at 4.30 and then talk a little bit more about Mizzou and Troy as well as the NFL at 4.45 before we finish off our show as we usually do. Such an awesome time of year for sports. It I is. Mean, an, it if is you, if you like a wide variety awesome. of sports, this uh, the first week of October is just perfect for you. Yeah, I, I believe we're going to hit a point here in a couple of weeks, once the NBA gets going, where we'll have all four major sports at one time, which is a rarity in the sports, sports calendar. Yes. If, wow. Sports that is going to kill productivity. I, I think we had, we had one last year, though, right? If I'm not mistaken. I, I feel like that's happened fairly recently. Yeah. And, I mean, you get pretty close in the springtime because you get when you get the March Madness going, plus the NBA and the NHL and baseball, because usually the Final Four is right around the start of baseball. You get pretty close. But you obviously don't have football at that time of year unless you're going to count the AAF, which I don't even think made it to that time last year. The XFL might this year. We'll see. Anyway, we're going to start off with some college football. We'll get into Mizzou and Troy a little bit later, but a bunch of big games around the country tomorrow. Several ranked matchups. One of the more notable ones, Auburn and Florida. Michigan State taking on Ohio State. Another Big Ten matchup of ranked teams in Iowa and Michigan. I'll start with you, Chase. What catches your eye on this week six late tomorrow? Well, I'm just going to go with the obvious answer. I think it has to be Auburn and Florida. I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding that game. I, you know, I think this is a big game for Florida just to prove, are, are they really that good? You know, a lot of people have said that they are that good, and I think they've had some quality wins this year. But, I, I, you know, Kentucky has looked, you know, subpar since then. You know, Miami's not really a great contest. You know, and Florida's really struggling to win some of these games. You know, and, and I mean, they did blow out Tennessee. I think it was either last weekend or the week before that. And looked really sharp. But I think there, you know, is a great question. Is Florida legit? And I also think, you know, with Auburn, you know, they've had a really, really great start to the year. But I, I think there's people still questioning, you know, whether, you know, is Bo Nix really the guy? You know, I, I know Garrett has how he feels about Bo Nix. But I think there's a, I think he's not the only one. I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, is Bo Nix really the guy? Is he really the answer? So, you know, I think this weekend will answer a lot of questions. And it really, I think, will help, you know, straighten out the SEC East and the SEC West in that game. Well, and remember, too, Auburn, they're two of their last three games, I think one's against Stanford, but the two of the last games are Georgia and Alabama. So, you know, Auburn can play a big role in how this turns out towards the end of the year. Even if they're not necessarily the contender for the college football playoff, they could play a large role in determining who gets to the playoff or maybe even the SEC championship. Great point. Just like we saw a couple years ago in 2017 where Auburn, you know, they weren't leading the way in the pack. They had an early loss in 2017, but they ended up playing a significant impact on the 2017 playoff picture. Well, and don't forget uh, the year where they have the miracle catch against Georgia and then two weeks later the kick six at home against Alabama. It's a two-loss team in the national championship game. It's pretty unbelievable. That was an incredible run. Garrett, what about you this week? What do you see on the schedule? Yeah, for me, it's number 14, Iowa, um, at Michigan. And Michigan's been spinning its tires this year. Obviously, they lost a atypical early game in their Big 12 schedule, but Big 10 schedule, I should say. But um, this is a matchup that not a lot of people know about because, frankly, they don't play a lot. Uh, they last faced off in 2016, and Iowa's been victorious for two years in a row and five out of six over the Wolverines. 2016, Iowa memorably uh, had a walk-off field goal for that win over a highly ranked Michigan team. So, yeah, 
it's a lot of good memories in this in this rivalry series, and one that I've certainly got my eye not so much for Michigan, but more for Iowa because they had a you know a, a late bye late in the, relatively early in their schedule, and then last week they took care of Middle Tennessee. I'm happy to see, curious to see how this test goes for the Hawkeyes. I think Iowa's really, really good. I think I think they're very underrated personally. I, I really like, you know, Nate Stanley and also like the running game they can attack with and of course AJ Espinenza wanna probably one of the best behind Chase Young, probably one of the best defensive prospects in America. I, you know, I I think they're a very good team. I think that they'll beat Michigan. You know, I, I think it'll be a good game, though. Yeah, you could talk about two potentially really low-scoring games between Auburn and Florida and Iowa and Michigan. You wouldn't expect a lot of points there. And then also in the Pac-12, you know, whether it makes a difference for the college football playoff or not, probably not, but could determine a long way in terms of who makes that Pac-12 championship with Cal and Oregon tomorrow along with Washington and Stanford. Going back to last week, you know, Clemson nearly loses to North Carolina by a point, it almost felt like a Clemson loss, practically, because they were you know, right there. There is now seemingly to be a, a debate, and I, I know it's really early to talk about college football playoff, about, you know, should Clemson still be number one because they won last year? Should they, you know, they don't look like the best team in the country this year. I don't think anybody would dispute that. What do you guys think about that? Do they still deserve that number one ranking considering they haven't lost and they were the champions last year? Or, you know, really, is, should we at this time be saying, hey, look, you know, maybe they're the fourth, fifth, sixth best team in the country right now? Logically, I think that's pretty sound. I think you could say, okay, look, they were clearly the best team from start to finish last year and they haven't lost yet. I could totally see the argument that they need to keep that number one spot. However, they've looked like a completely different team through the first couple weeks of the season, really for, through the whole month of September. Trevor Lawrence has not looked like the dominant quarterback that he was late into the college football playoff last year. So I do think it's fair to bump them down on the spot. Maybe this will be what they need to kick it into gear. But uh, what a lot of people aren't talking about is just how much Clemson lost between the offseason from the time they lifted the national championship trophy to kick off this September. They lost all four of their key defensive linemen in Albert Hug, excuse me, defensive linemen Albert Huggins, uh, Austin Bryant, Dexter Dexter Lawrence and Cleveland Furl. Four fantastic players that would start on any one of the 128 FBS teams across the country. I don't think that's been touched upon enough. And they lost pieces all across the secondary, lost some receivers, a couple guys transferred here and there. I don't think anybody really discussed what Clemson lost until it's come to light through the month of September. I think that's a really good point. I think Joel Klatt pointed out the other day it was seven All-Americans on defense. I mean, that's yep. an extraordinary high amount of guys, even if they have a bunch of five stars behind them, that's still a transition. What do you think about it, Chase? You know, I think that Garrett brings up a lot of good points. And, you know, the way I look at it, though, is you can't go from year to year. You know, if you'd go from year to year, then, you know, rankings would be almost irrelevant at that point. You know, the way I see it right now, I think there's three teams that are playing arguably better football than Clemson is right now. I would put Alabama, Ohio State, and LSU, all three above there. And I'd even put Oklahoma in the same conversation as Clemson. You know, they both last year played really well, but they Oklahoma hasn't really played anybody this year, and neither has Clemson, but Oklahoma has at least been more dominant. So, you know, it's one of those, it's kind of a catch-22. You know, you can put them in there, and it wouldn't stun me, Ben, if they go undefeated and win the national championship. But, you know, right now they don't look like that team, you know, to be honest, AP rankings really don't matter until the college football playoff rankings come out. And those, you know, because these AP voters are just watching a quarter here, a quarter there of, you know, just randomly selected games where these college football playoff rankings are, they're sitting there watching every single game using every, every single analytical stat. So I think that's really where the rankings come into play. But like I said, there's a lot of talent still on that defense. It's just they're just having a hard time gelling right now. You know, you talk about all the players they lose. I mean, yeah, they do get Tanner Muse back, and they have, you know, just tons of defensive talent on, you know, the other side of the ball. I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, Isaiah Simmons, the, the linebacker, who is like a 6'3", runs a 4'4", linebacker, plays safety. 
they're just having a hard time gelling. I, and I think Clemson will figure it out, and I think they'll still probably play for the national championship. But it's a good argument right now, Ben. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a good point about the AP voters necessarily not being able to watch all the games every week. And once we do get that playoff rankings in a few weeks, you know, they, those people are really evaluating all the games and all the criteria very closely each week. And yeah, I think, you know, it's up for debate right now about who's playing the best in the country, right? Auburn's got a couple really good wins. You know, Ohio State, I think, has maybe looked more dominant than anybody else. You mentioned Alabama, Oklahoma playing well, but again, they haven't played anybody. So it's not really, you know, fair for us to say, okay, you know, how did, how are they going to look against better competition? And, you know, then you have LSU, who's also been really, really good this year. And I think it's, you know, it's going to be interesting for a team like Oklahoma. You know, next week they have Texas. That almost feels like a monumental game for them because not only do they need to win that game, but they probably need to, you know, win it in impressive fashion. Because you know, if Texas trails off a little bit towards the end of the year, and that's Oklahoma's best win, and you know, let's say they win that game by three or five points, people are going to be like, well, you know, they didn't really play anybody the entire year. So I think that you know that's just one of those things that you know, I right now we have a bunch of undefeated teams, and usually it settles itself out through the competition, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially when you look at the SEC between Georgia and LSU and Alabama and Auburn to get all these teams in Florida as well this week, you know, getting all these teams playing each other. I think that's going to be really fun. I think you're going to see some really high quality matchups. Yeah. And like you said, Ben, the problem with Auburn, LSU and Alabama is they each have to play each other. So they're going to kind of cannibalize each other. They're going to, you know, take a loss here, take a loss there. Somebody has to lose those games. They can't just, you know, somebody, both teams win. So that's, you know, definitely an interesting part of it. And I think that's where Oklahoma will fall into play. You know, they, yes, they do need to probably beat Texas and Oklahoma State, you know, make those wins look better. But as long as they win, they're probably going to get the benefit of the doubt just by being undefeated. You know, it's not a, you know, bulletproof plan, but it's, you know, it's a plan that has worked for Oklahoma in the past couple years. Right, certainly with four teams now. It's a little different back when we only had two teams, but four teams allows for that. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting as we head to the main port of conference part of conference season, it feels like a lot of the big games are going to be later this year. So a lot of these teams are going to be playing big games, back-to-back weeks or two out of three weeks, something like that. It feels like a lot of the you know, clear-cut big games that are going to determine the playoff situation are pushed back towards the late October, early November window, and it's going to create for a lot of exciting games. Absolutely, and you know, Chase talked about cannibalizing. Take a look at Auburn's schedule moving forward. I mean, we talked a little bit about it briefly in the show, but man, they could easily end up nine and three and be really respectable. You know what I mean? You can talk about the same thing with Florida. Hey, you can't look past that Missouri game in November. Uh, the Tigers have had the Gators number in recent years. You wonder how many three-loss teams are going to be attractive for New Year's Six Bowls. That's something we haven't really seen a lot of. So that's another thing that came to my mind this week when looking at the schedules down the road. Certainly, but if you had an Auburn team that played really well but right. still lost three games, I think that those bowls would be fine putting Auburn in one of those games. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of the MLB postseason kicked off earlier this week and is ongoing today. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU. Missouri Tiger football is back this week on KCOU this Saturday as they host the Troy Trojans. Tiger pregame live presented by El Rancho begins at 2 p.m. and kickoff is set for 3 p.m. right here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, and streaming on the TuneIn app. KCOU, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Welcome back into the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones. Talk a little bit of MLB postseason as it is underway. Today is one of the great baseball days with four games today in divisional play. The started earlier this week with the Nationals coming back to knock out the Brewers in the NL wildcard game, the Rays winning the AL wildcard game over the A's, and then so far yesterday, two NL games 
with the Cardinals knocking off the Braves 7-6 to and the Dodgers shutting out the Nationals last night. And then a couple games in action right now, the Astros leading the Rays in Houston 6-2 to in the top of the eighth, and the Braves leading the Cardinals 1 to nothing as they head to the third inning in Atlanta. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting MLB postseason this year just because it feels like there are three really top-tier teams and then kind of everybody else. And the question is, can anybody take down one of those top three? And, you know, it just it could happen, but it doesn't seem like it feels likely this year. I would argue that there's two from each league. I think you can throw Atlanta in that category as an elite team. I don't think they're as headstrong as maybe the Yankees and the Dodgers. And I'm going to assume the Astros were the three that you were yeah, referring I, to. Yeah, I, I just been. don't think Atlanta has the, the the pitching and the wherewithal. I mean, I think those other fair. teams' pitching staffs are much stronger than Atlanta's. I think that's fair, but just for the sake of keeping things even, I'm going to go ahead and throw Atlanta in that discussion as well. But I think you're absolutely right. I think that uh, there's clearly two best teams in the American League, right? You've got New York and Atlanta. Or, wow, New York and Houston. Uh, thinking, thinking about the Cardinals-Braves game. We've got it on in the studio here. But you've got New York and Houston in the American League. And thankfully, under no circumstance did we get to see them match up in the first round. That would have been that would have been a shame if that were at all possible. But we didn't have to see either one of those teams go to the wild card game. Boston takes a step back in the American League East. Oakland puts together a great season in the American League West. But the Astros just were so dominant in that division, they didn't even come close to winning it. So I think that's an interesting aspect there. But I, just, I really love some of the matchups this year. I think that, you know, in case you missed it, uh, Tampa Bay bested Oakland in the wild card game on Wednesday night. Washington besting Milwaukee in a fantastic game on Monday night. Those have breeded some very interesting storylines and matchups with these series. You look at Tampa Bay and Houston. Houston, one of the most dominant teams. Tampa Bay comes in at 29th in attendance with one of the lowest payrolls in the league, and here they are going toe-to-toe with Houston. Astros have really been dominant today, but it's interesting that these teams even matched up in the postseason. And then you talk about the Minnesota Twins. One home run stronger than the New York Yankees this season. Both teams hit over the 300 mark for a team for the first time in MLB history. Unbelievable storylines there. And then you look at LA Washington. Okay, the Dodgers finally looking to put this postseason bugaboo behind them. And Washington, Sands Bryce Harper, one year without him, gets straight to the postseason and advances around. I mean, everywhere you look, there's just cool little things that stand out about every one of these matchups. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, you can always find those little nuggets. What, what do you think, Chase? Yeah, and I think, Gary, you know, he hit on a lot of good points. You know, I still I agree with you, Ben. I think there's really three teams. I don't think Atlanta has, one, the starting pitching quality. I don't think they have the bullpen either. You know, I, I think they're a, a very good baseball team. I just don't think they can match up, you know, with the Dodgers who can roll out Bueller, Kershaw, Ryu, you know, one, two, three. You know, I, I think it'd be really cool to have a Dodgers-Astros because, like we were talking about last night, Ben, Ryu, Bueller, Kershaw versus, you know, Grinky, Verlander, and Cole. That would just be really, really fun to watch. You know, I, I think there's, uh, like you said, Garrett, a lot of interesting storylines. You know, I think in the Cardinals-Braves series, I think it's really just about, honestly, who gets the better starting pitching because they both have, a, a, you know, a couple of good one-two punches. Are they, you know, they're looking for that, you know, accessory pitcher, you know, to that just to give them five or six good innings on both sides. And, you know, you look at the Minnesota Twins and the Yankees. I, I think the home run is the biggest factor in that series. I really do. They're playing in the, you know, they play in the Yankee Stadium. They have the short porches on both sides you know each team hits a lot of home runs I think that's going to be a big factor and I mean you talk about the Rays the Rays one of the lowest payrolls in baseball but they have the best bullpen in baseball and that's really been their bread and butter this year you know I think it'll be interesting 
when we finally get to see, you know, that that bullpen, if, you know, they do get up on the Astros, you know, two to one or something in the sixth or seventh inning, I think that'll be really fun to watch. But yeah, like you said, Ben, I, I think it's really those three teams. And if one of those teams gets knocked out, then it'll be a lot of fun. But I, you know, I really think we're on a collision course to, you know, something, you know, Yankees or Astros versus Dodgers. Well, and the Rays do all sorts of little creative things that unorthodox that right. wouldn't work for other teams, but it works for the Rays. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not just about these series, too. Something we've seen in the past, too, especially with the push now for bullpens and more bullpen innings is can those bullpens survive an entire postseason run? So when you look at a team like the Yankees that isn't necessarily going to be looking for six or seven innings out of their starters the entire time, they're going to use their bullpen as their strength. Can they ride that to a World Series without wearing out their bullpen. We saw the Dodgers a couple years ago against Houston had a really good bullpen, but by the time they got to the end of that series, they were exhausted. That's why when I think when you look at the Dodgers and the Astros, having those starting pitching you know, depth and really at the top, having those elite guys, I think puts them to at the favorites right now. But certainly, you know, in these short series, you never know. A couple games can go wrong and, and then it just kind of spirals out of control and, and you don't know. But I think right now you'd have to list them as the favorites. You know, it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks just because you know i think the shorter you can for these teams the shorter you can get out of the divisional series the better i think you know if you go 5 games and suddenly now you're having to use your ace in game 5 or you know your second pitcher in game 5 suddenly now you're starting the championship series even if you win the division series you're starting the championship series maybe with your third starter and i think that really throws things off so i think if you can get out of that divisional series in 3 or bare maximum 4 better right and we were talking about this off air the other day you know for those who might not understand the micromanaging of postseason baseball in the modern era really since about 2015 has been unbelievable it's created situations that were completely unprecedented before and been mentioned it's so valuable to have your bullpen rested in those games that you don't have to play because there's such a slim margin of error in the postseason and that's as a result the starting pitchers even batters in some cases are going to have such short strings and such a little slack with their managers. So you have to have that bullpen rested up and ready to go because in some cases you're going to need to use three, four, even five guys on your bullpen. Well, I think that's a really good point. And then you you know, add in the fact that there's limited off days in the postseason. So the first right. four games are in five days. And I understand the regular season, you are constantly playing games as well. Especially for the wild card winning teams that had to travel across the country. That's true as well. But even the division series, you know, if the series goes four games, four games in five days, you're probably not going to have any relievers that are available all four of those days, maybe three. But I think the less innings you can put on your bullpen at the start of the postseason really breeds success later on. Well, and I always like watching the postseason simply because, it, you know, like yesterday, Miles Michaels is really struggling in the first, and he gives up that first run. Mike Schill calls the bullpen. He's already got two relievers up and ready to rock. And, you know, in the first inning, and a lot of times in the regular season, you just don't see that because you're just like, oh, if we get a bad start, we'll just, you know, we can take a loss if it's, you know, middle of June, the dog days of July. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But these are one, you know, one huge game, can, you know, can change really. And I always like seeing how managers, you know, really do that. I like seeing in the NL, you know, do they – if they get, you know, the bases loaded with one out in the third inning and their pitchers up, do they pitch hit, you know, at that point? Because runs are just such at a premium in the playoffs. I always like seeing how managers work their way around that. Well, especially in the best of five, you can't afford to lose a right. game. Right. And you, you, as you said, Chase, you can't just say, oh, it's a bad start. We'll let them, we'll leave them out there. And the other part of it, too, is unless the game's really out of hand, you're probably not putting your long reliever in. Right. No. You're putting in a good reliever in the first or second inning. That happens. Maybe your closer comes in in the fifth or sixth because that's the key situation. It's a whole different strategy game in the playoffs. And that's why I think managing and especially managing the bullpen, managing the lineup really comes into play here in the postseason. It's 
really imperative to make the right decisions and who are we going to pinch it here? And as you mentioned, Garrett and Chase, you know, who's going to double switch there? And there's just a lot of decisions that have to be made, oftentimes very quick and very sudden. And, you know, oftentimes whoever makes the better of those decisions among the managers is the one who wins the game. It's so interesting that you mentioned closers, too, because this is such an interesting time in baseball where we really don't have a lot of dominant closers at this point, right? It's almost like what managers are looking for are one guy who can come and get a lefty out with one out, or we're seeing less of that, formerly known as the loogie, the left-handed one-out guy. But now what managers are looking for are right-handed pitchers who can go multiple innings, who can come in early in the games like that, who can eat up those middle innings and then finish off the game. We're not looking for that dominant Aroldness Chapman type closer, even though he's still playing really well. Well, I, I was going to say, though, the one note is that I think what people think are the three best teams right now, the Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros, have Aroldis Chapman, Kenley Jansen, and Roberto Ryan, Osuna. And Ryan Presley, too. Yeah, Presley gave up a couple runs today. Right. But yeah, Osuna has been dominant as a closer this year in Houston. So those three teams... Kenley Jansen showed signs of mortality, at least. Yeah, at least a little bit. But no, I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, it's that closer role is different than it used to be and there's more guys that can do it but it also can really just affect I mean look at yesterday with the Braves and the Cardinals right Chris Martin gets hurt at the start of the eighth inning for the Braves he can't throw a pitch now they got to bring Luke Jackson and he gets in trouble that means Martin Lanson's got to come in the eighth inning not just the ninth and then they give up a bunch of runs so little things like that can really have a huge impact on the game and speaking about closers and saves can can either one of you name who led the league in saves this year is it Oh, gosh, it, Taylor Rogers for Minnesota has been really hot nope. lately, right? No, it's a team that didn't make the playoffs, and their closer led the league in saves this year. Can you, oh, can you give us a hint? Plays for the Padres. Oh, it's oh, Kirby, Kirby Yates. Kirby yeah, Yates. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just it, like like you said, Ben. The, the closer position is changing. You don't have those Mariano Rivera, or you don't have you know old school Craig Kimball or Greg Call, and that's going to come out and well, that's forty five saves. A year. You know what I mean? You don't have that anymore. It's much more bullpen by you know. By committee. By yeah. committee, yeah, exactly. I was struggling for the word there, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, I mean, I believe the Cardinals this year had three or four different guys that had five or six or seven, you know, saves, and it, that's just the way the game is, and it's the way the game has changed anymore. Certainly, but if you do still have that guy in the back end like a Chapman, that helps a lot too. Right, doesn't lot, hurt anything. It gives you a lot more confidence at the end of the game. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift topics a little bit. We are going to talk, we are talked earlier today. We'll listen to our interview with Scott Shelton, who covers Troy football. He gave us some great insight on the matchup tomorrow. We will hear that next here on the Preferred Walk-Ons. Shelton joining us here on the Preferred Walk-Ons. He is the Tropolitan lead sports writer and opinion columnist over at Troy University, and we are happy he's joining us today. It's Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones here with you on the Preferred Walk-Ons. And Scott, we'll just get started. Missouri and Troy kicking off in a little over 24 hours here in Columbia tomorrow. Troy is a team, an interesting team. New head coach, Neil Brown left. He goes to West Virginia. Chip Lindsey comes in. And now it's a team that has put up a lot of points, but also given up a lot of points. What have you seen so far out of them this year? Yeah, so um, through four games, uh, our offense looks amazing, averaging over 500 yards a game. Um, uh, our quarterback is Caleb Barker. Uh, he returns this year after tearing his ACL last year. He's having a phenomenal season this year. 
Um, one of the questions coming into the season was how uh, the wide receiving core would look because they lost a lot of experience after last year, but we've had a bunch of junior college uh, transfers come in, uh, Kalen Geiger, Khalil McClain, Reggie Todd, and they have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, this offense is really kicking on uh, all high cylinders. Uh, but, yeah, as you said, the defense, yeah, they've seen their struggles. Um, I will give credit, though. The front seven, especially, has been really holding their own. Um, they're really ho- holding defenses, um, holding rushing offenses to, you know, just over 100 yards a game. The secondary is where, you know, they've had their struggles. Um, <clears throat> but I give the benefit of the doubt, though. Um, last season, after last season, they had a lot of transfers, especially on defense. So the secondary is pretty inexperienced, and they're, you know, a lot of the guys getting their first action. And but they're, uh, they've, been, they've been kind of thrown in the fire because going against Southern Miss and Arkansas State. A couple of really good passing offenses. So, um, yeah, but, but you know, they have been struggling. That is true. Yeah, and Scott, you know, just, just looking at the matchup overall with Troy and Missouri, it, it kind of has that feel of a game that Missouri really doesn't want to play. It looks like Troy wants to run and gun, wants to make it a shootout game. You know, just from looking at their scores, you know, 50-43, to 43, a, loss us, a loss last week to Arkansas State. You know, they've scored 47-35 and 35 and 43 Troy's offense is not having any problems, but how do you think the Missouri defense will look at this Troy offense, and what what do you expect to see from the Troy offense against Missouri? I look to see. Um, so one thing that I've been looking at is uh, Missouri has a very good uh, rush defense, um, and that's not going to be good for our. Well, I'll put it this way: Troy lost B.J. Smith, uh, star running back. Uh, he's usually, you know, one of those guaranteed 100 yards per game guys. He went down, but um, the guy next man up, G.K. Billingsley, uh, in the two games he has started, he's put up over 100 yards in each game. So things are looking up for our rushing offense. That's going to be key is um, setting up the running game to open up uh, the passing game for Barker and those, you know, those core receivers. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Troy is comfortable in shootouts. You know, obviously they've – They've lost too, but they've that, that's um, kind of where they made their bed. You know, they're they're willing to you know put up fifty. They're willing to put up forty points. You know, if even if they're going to give up that many. So I think even if, if Missouri doesn't want to do that, I'm sure Troy is their offense is capable of keeping up in the shootout. Yes, Scott, and Chase already mentioned it a little earlier, but that loss last week to Arkansas State, a 50-43 result in case anybody missed it, caught some national attention because of the way that it ended. Do you mind walking us through that and the ending for our audience and specifically how has the team responded this week to losing in such a tough manner? Yeah, so um, last week, um, Troy, okay, so Carl Marshall, uh, one of our, our star linebackers, he got an interception that set up the Troy to have one last try to try to tie up the game. It was 50 to 43. There was under one minute to go, and Troy got down inside of, I believe they were inside the 20-yard line, and they were trying to, you know, tie the game on a touchdown. Um, but they had already used all their timeouts. And, you know, tie the game on a touchdown. Um, but they had already used all their timeouts. And so with, I think it was nine seconds remaining, um, all one of our offensive linemen, Austin Stidham, uh, he went down with an injury. And the NCAA rules state that um, if it's under a minute to go and um, an offensive player has an injury, there is a 10-second runoff on the clock. 
Um, Troy did not have any timeouts to stop the clock, and there was only nine seconds on the clock, so therefore the game ended on that play. Um, it was really rough to see. Um, that was <laughs> really heartbreaking. I was uh, tough to watch, but you know, rules are rules. Um, so I understand, but you know, that was that was hurt. Um, that was hurtful to see. But um, talking to the team at practice this week, they seem you know ready to move on. Um, they're uh, looking forward to this game against Missouri. You know, um, a lot of these guys in this team, uh, they were on the team that beat Nebraska last year. They were on the team that beat LSU a couple of years ago. So they know that you know this game is important to them. Um, a lot of them, you know, they would love to get that third straight. Uh, power five win. Yeah, and Scott, looking at the team overall this year and the change from Neil Brown to Chip Lindsey, what it, what have you seen? Chip Lindsey's a guy that has a lot of experience. He was at Auburn as the offensive coordinator the last couple of years, so he's familiar with the SEC. What's been the biggest difference, and in, in how do you think that will impact the game this week, knowing that Chip Lindsey does have that SEC experience? The biggest difference to me, I think, I think to me, Chip Lindsey has really opened up this offense and really maximized the capabilities of guys like Caleb Barker. Um, for example, Caleb Barker, he never got over 300 yards in a game last season. Of course, he only played half the season, but um, he didn't get over 300. He's done that twice already. Um, he never got over 200 yards and a half. He's done that, you know, twice already. Um, so I think this is the difference between Chip Lindsey and Neil. Um, obviously, Neil's phenomenal, but I think Chip Lindsey, just this few games, has really opened up the offense. Um, defense, obviously, um, that's not a question mark. Um, that's something that the team is working on. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't help but feel confident that, you know, about Chip Lindsey. If, if this is how we look in four games, I can't wait to see uh, what Chip does for the rest of the season and even into you know, the next couple of years. Especially because yeah. um, Chip, um, I know Neil had a part in this too, but Troy's recruiting class was phenomenal this past year. One of the best recruiting classes ever. And, you know, we've seen a lot of these guys come and make a huge impact really early. As I mentioned, the, especially those three wide receivers that came in. And, and you know, looking looking at the Missouri offense and, and just looking at this, this game from a general perspective, you know, Missouri's offense this year they've they've really slowed it down they're not going as much fast tempo they're they're slowing it down a lot Mm -hmm. more um do you think this is something that they could do to try to slow Troy down get that offense off the field more and just kind of take Troy out of the rhythm I think that if I were Missouri that's a great strategy because um one of the things uh, I'm thinking of the the Southern Miss game right now um Southern Miss's first possession they took I think their first scoring possession, they took seven and a half minutes off the clock. And uh, eating up clock is really, is, yeah, that's key. Keeping Troy's offense off the field because Troy's offense can, they put together drives, you know, they'll, they'll score in a minute, they can score in six minutes. So, I, yeah, I agree. Keeping Troy's offense off the field and slowing that momentum down, it's going to be big for Missouri, I believe. Hey, Scott, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but these teams have actually played four times prior and back in they 2004, have, yes. Missouri was a ranked team that made the trip to Troy and ended up losing mm-hmm. on a weeknight. How, how aware, do you have any memories of that game? And do you think that anybody on the Troy staff or fan base is aware of that game? And how much weight do you think that matchup with Missouri holds this week because of that game that took place 15 years ago? <laughs> I personally don't have uh, memories of that. I was only uh, about seven years old. Yeah. But uh, for sure, I know um, guys like that. 
uh, all the way from the athletic director down to the fan base. They remember this was that was one of uh, Troy's first Power Five wins. I believe the very first one was in 2001 against Mississippi State, mm-hmm. and in 2004 that was I believe that was their first win against a ranked Power Five team at home. That was you know one of the landmark games in Troy history. It's right out there. Um, with, you know, the LSU win a couple of years ago. So the fan base, they, they certainly remember, and this is going to be a it, – it's a, it's a big deal for them, this game. And, Scott, just the final question here. You you just kind of touched on it right there. Troy's had a history of knocking off Power 5 schools. You mentioned Nebraska last year, LSU two years ago, mm-hmm. nearly Clemson a few years back. Why do you think they've had so much success in these type of games, and how do they continue that going forward now? I think that is because Troy, in its, in, <clears throat> they've been in the Division One FBS for about 18 years now. They always play up to their competition, no matter who's on the field. And I think it just goes to show a trend, across, not even just with Troy across the Sun Belt, uh, that across the group of five, that the group of five, the, the Lions dividing group of five and power five is being blurred. Uh, we saw App State go to North Carolina earlier. They, you know, that wasn't a fluke. They beat them. <laughs> they, they just sheer outplayed them. Um, Troy going to LSU a couple years ago, that wasn't a fluke. They led the entire game, uh, did not trail. So I think it's just a mentality uh, at Troy. You play up to your opponent no matter. You don't worry about, you know, their history. You don't worry about, you know, what their ranking is. You play whoever's in front of you. Well, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that is Scott Shelton joining us here on the Preferred Walk-Ons. We thank him for all his insight on the Troy football team. More next on the Preferred Walk-Ons. On Sundays at 11 a.m., it's the weekly walkthrough. Join Ethan Salm and Nick Catlin as they discuss the biggest and most important sports news of the week. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM on KCOU.FM or find the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching for The Weekly Walkthrough. Follow us on Twitter at Weekly Walk KCOU and be sure to tune in on Sundays at 11 a.m. for all the latest in sports. No, no wing that's only my Looking for your weekly fix of Mizzou sports content? Look no further than the longest-running Mizzou sports talk show on KCOU, Salute Your Sports. Join me, Chris Mitchell, alongside James Stanley and Zach Berman as we break down everything you need to know about Mizzou sports every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central. And if you can't tune in for the live show, you can listen to the show in podcast form every Friday on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready for some high-octane talk? Do you live for the thrill of fast cars and close vendors? Then tune in to Burnin' Rubber every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM. Join Hal Estep and myself, Sterling Siemens, as we discuss the latest in NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and other racing series from around the world. Don't miss the Can't Miss Motorsports Talk Show of Mizzou Student Radio. Burnin' Rubber, 
Thursdays at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. forget every Saturday this fall is a KCOU Sports Saturday. Listen to your favorite KCOU sports shows every Saturday all day long. Catch No Huddle, Mizzou Football, Basketball, and more every Saturday. It's not just Saturday. It is KCOU Sports Saturday. And there will be one of those tomorrow. I believe No Huddle is kicking us off. Is that correct, Garrett? That's correct. Tomorrow morning? Yep, 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. Full day of KCOU Sports Saturday tomorrow. Live right here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the blue box, and KCOU on the TuneIn app. Ben Krakow, Garrett Jones, and Chase Phillips back with you here on the Preferred Walk-Ons for our final segment of the day. We'll kind of divide it up a little bit. We'll get into some NFL in a moment, but we will briefly talk Mizzou and Troy tomorrow, 3 o'clock, as we said, live here on KCOU. Pre-game show presented by El Rancho starts at 2 o'clock. And, you know, this is kind of another game where, you know, Mizzou's playing a Troy team, as you just heard in that interview with Scott Shelton, a team that scores a lot but also gives up a lot. Mizzou should have some chances, especially through the air. Troy's going to try to throw the ball a lot tomorrow, I think, and try to make this attract me to shoot out. But really, this is a game I don't think Mizzou should have all that much trouble win. to win. It could be raining, which could impact the game. Actually, probably would hurt Troy more because that probably limits their air attack a little bit. But I think this is a game that most would expect Mizzou to win pretty handily. Right. I, I What I want to see out of Missouri is an efficient game through the air. Uh, you know, it feels like it's been forever since they played South Carolina after a bye week. But, you know, Kelly Bryant played really well in the second half of that game. The first half was not pretty, to say the least. Missouri struggled to put points on the board. They got a huge help from their defense with a Kale Garrett touchdown off of really headsy play from a really strange play. Um, but, yeah, they got they got a lot of help in that game in the first half, and they took a decent lead into the halftime locker room. But, you know, they ended up winning the game by 17 points. I don't really think that told the story. I think Kelly Bryant needs to be really smart with his throws. He needs to come out and be as accurate as he can out of the gate. I think Missouri is going to look to kind of ease him into the game by running a lot of options. He's been great running the ball, 99 yards against the game, those same Gamecocks in the last game. I think Missouri is going to try to work him into it as easy as they can, but I think that's where it starts for a successful win tomorrow for Missouri. Yeah, I, I'm a little scared, if you want my honest opinion. I, <laughs> I, I am. This is this is like the most Missouri game ever to lose. Like, you think about Middle Tennessee State a few years ago. I mean, I know we're a lot better, or Missouri's a lot better then than we were, you know, than they were back, you know, whenever we played Mississippi State, but or Middle Tennessee State, excuse me, but still. Like, Missouri State, too. And Missouri. I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so it still worries me. I think this team, you know, I do think they'll win. I, I think that Troy could keep it close. You know, Ben, I think the rain is a big factor. Um, they still have a very good uh, run game in DK Billingsley. You know, he's I think he's averaging close to six yards a carry right now. And he's very, very solid. And that whole offense is very solid. But what I, like you said, Garrett, what I want to see from the Missouri defense is this is the first time they're really going up against an actual passing offense that produces points in the passing game. You know, this has been the big, big argument all year long. Then the secondaries improve this and that, and I think this is the game that they can really show that the run defense has been getting better every single week. You know, I think oh, Wyoming was an anomaly, but that's what I want to see from this Tigers team. Is I want to see a very, very good defense. Yeah, fourth of a five-game homestand that'll kick finish off next weekend against Ole Miss on homecoming before the Tigers hit the road for three straight games in Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Georgia. Reminder: you can hear all KCOU football games live here on KCOU throughout the season. 
And now we'll shift a little bit to the NFL. It is going to be week five. There was a actually a really good game. There's a lot of sports going on last night, but it was a terrific game between the Rams and the Seahawks last night, a game that the Seahawks won right at the end, 30-29. to 29. Greg Zerline of the Rams, normally very good, normally good, as they, John Petrograd says on SportsCenter. He misses a 44-yard field goal at the buzzer, and the Seahawks win. And, you know, I think there's a bunch of good, you know, entertaining games on the schedule this week. You look at the Ravens and Steelers, a big one in the AFC North. You know, Falcons-Texans could be a game that has a lot of points in it. You talk about Colts-Chiefs on Sunday night, the Cowboys and the Packers late afternoon on Sunday. A lot of interesting games. Bears and Raiders playing in London. Raiders playing a little bit better, a little bit under the radar. They beat the Colts last week. Chase, when you look at this slate of games, what catches your eye this week? Yeah, and it's one of the games that you uh, just mentioned. I think Falcons-Texans could be a really fun game to watch. Um, You know, I think Packers and Cowboys probably has the most implications on the playoffs. But I think the Falcons and Texans would be a really fun game. You know, neither defense is really that great, and they both love to throw the ball a lot. Deshaun Watson has been struggling very, very much lately, and it's simply because he has no help whatsoever on his offensive line. But me and Garrett talked about this a little bit earlier this week. I really liked the Deshaun Watson and the, the interaction between them and the reporter. There was a lot of controversy over that, but I really like it. It wasn't a win for the reporter. It wasn't a win for Deshaun Watson. The reporter asked a question, and Deshaun Watson, you know, he did have a little sarcasm at the beginning. He's like, do you know, do you know football? But then he sat there and explained exactly what happened and what he saw and what the game plan was. So I thought that was actually really good on both sides. Yeah, that was Mizzou made Aaron Reese, a 2017 graduate, and actually asked the question. I don't think a lot of people caught that. I covered it pretty extensively on my solo show one of these nights. You can find it on Spotify and all streaming platforms in case you're interested in delving deep into that situation. But as far as games this week, um, I really got my eyes on Patriots-Redskins. No, I'm kidding. I don't. You don't think Colt McCoy, Texas zone, <laughs> can take down the uh, Patriots? Ooh, ooh. Not quite. There are four combined wins between those teams, and all of them belong to New England. Uh, moreover, for me, I've got Bears Raiders on my mind. Uh, I think that's really cool that Khalil Mack's going up against his old team. And I love how with the press this week, he did not mince words. He did, you know, a lot of guys when they play the for, their formal teams, they'll just say, oh, you know, it's just a diff- It's just another game. Khalil Mack was like, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been looking forward to this game for a really long time. Long time and sure enough he's got the chance on the road back in Oakland and who knows when the last year in the Coliseum will be well, he's got a chance to well, play there not, one last not, time. not back in Oakland they're playing in London they're playing in London former Mizzou quarterback Chase Daniel starts with the Bears with Mitch Trubisky out love with an it. injury love it and I have to ask you guys this and you talk about winless teams we got a winless matchup this week we got the 0-3 and 1 Cardinals traveling to Cincinnati, oh. 0-4. Who do you like this week? Who gets that first win? Are we getting another tie? Give me, give, give me Kyler Murray over Andy Dalton. I mean, we watched that Monday night game pretty <sighs> extensively. Andy Dalton's just not getting anything done on an Their NFL. offensive line is, is rough. <laughs> rough yeah. rough's, rough's a great word to say, but it doesn't describe it I, I think Field Yates had a tweet that said, uh, the the Bengals need a new left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle. <laughs> other, than that, other than that, they're in a really good yeah, spot. Other than that, they're just fine. But not, other than that, not trying to correct you, Ben, but the actual tweet from Field Yates was, yeah, on the Bengals' offensive line uh, is fine. Other than left tackle, left guard, center, right okay. guard, and right yeah, tackle. Yeah, I knew it was something like that, and have it pulled up exactly. But yes, all right, yeah. Chase, who do you like? <laughs> I, I the, uh, <laughs> that's uh, uh, I'm gonna take the Cardinals, but it's uh, uh, that's that game just makes you go. Uh. Cliff Kingsbury failing upward and vying for his first ever NFL yeah. win. Gonna love when Kyler has 37 completions for 221 yards again, and David Johnson has 15 catches for 63 yards. He's not he's a running back. He's not even gonna have 15 carries, but he'll have 15 catches. They're I'm re- easing I- Kyler Murray into it. I'm rooting for a tie. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> 
Anyway, the NFL. When's the last time someone had two ties in a season? That's the a same great team. That seems like a topic for your show, Garrett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but we can get into you'll that. You'll have to go look up and see when that happened. Probably a while ago. All right. To finish off our show today, we normally do a sort of a get it off your chest, but we decided today, just because we didn't have that much that was necessarily bothering us in sports, to switch it up a little bit. So it's just a different name with one last thing. Garrett, you want to kick us off? Yes. Hockey season dropped the puck on Wednesday night. St. Louis Blues raised the championship banner. Congratulations, Chase, the first champion on any of our show. Um, you know, it's great for St. Louis, but I wanted to make sure that my 2020 NHL Stanley Cup prediction went out over the airwaves. I really think this is the year for the Dallas Stars, and I'm going with the hometown. Even though they lost on the opening night? Or it, the opening they, got, they got 81 more of those. <laughs> it's, that's just one game. Nah, it didn't go well last time. night. Their depth kind of took a shot. Roman Polak going to be out for quite a while. Jason Dickinson can miss some extension time. But, look, the Stars addressed the one weakness in the offseason. That was the power play, and that was the that was really the goal scoring, especially in you know January and March. This team really struggled to score goals. They really turned it around and played well in the playoffs. All this team needs to do to, is get into the playoffs. They've got the Vesna Trophy runner-up and Ben Bishop in net. Such a strong back check, and it really established defensive core after that postseason run. They've addressed the holes. I think this team can do it. All they have to do is get to the playoffs, and I think they can make a run. All right, we're holding you to it, Garrett. We're going to keep, right, keep I, us I'm on I'm totally here. fine with that. I really think this is the year. All right. Well, and actually, our show, it'll probably be summertime before we know, but maybe they'll be out by then, so... <laughs> I'm just saying, like we won't know if it's true. We will know it's not we can, true. We can go back and find this audio. All right, Chase, what's your one last thing for this week? Yeah, so before I hit my one last thing, you know, it was you know interesting to, uh, it was interesting to see as the Cardinals turn a pretty sweet little double play there to end the fourth inning. Um, but as you said, Garrett, you know the the Stars. You know, I think they're going to be a very good team. I, I also think that the Blues are still going to be really, really solid. You know, in the West, I think the Avalanche are a very, very good team. I think they have a really good chance of coming out of the West. You know, I other day, you know, I was talking about you know how I really thought that the Avalanche were getting a little overhyped. And I kind of looked at the roster and what they have. I think they'll be a very good team. But my one last thing is just really just the overarching, you know, the the fines in in the NFL and really just the suspensions. You know, people are a lot of people are saying. Well, you know, Vontez perfect, you know, the, the, this, you know, 12 game or this 12 game suspension, year long suspension is too much, this and that. And I, I just think it's not. I, I think you've got to get players like this out of league. You know, the league is really harping on league safety, and I think they did a phenomenal job. I mean, you know, whoever, or excuse me, Booker from McFarland on Monday Night Football, you know, I don't agree with most of the things he says, but I agree with one thing he said. He goes, one time is an accident, two times is a coincidence, more than three is a pattern. And this is, I kind of go the other day. This is his 13th time he's been involved in a player safety injury. There's just no need to have him in the league. You know, they did just drop a suspension bin on the play you and me were talking about where Marcus Peters got absolutely laid out. Donovan Smith was fined $30,000 for that. And, you know, they're getting a lot better about that. But overall, I think you just got to continue to make, you know, the NFL safe. It's becoming a more fun league to watch. It really is. You know, it basically owns a day of the week. On, on Sunday, you know, a lot of the people are watching football from, you know, noon till 10 p.m. that night or watching football constantly. But like you, like I said, it, they've just got to continue to improve on player safety. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's a very good point. Mine to me was more just about the NFL or MLB playoffs as we've watched the last few days. Like right now, I feel like we've gotten too particular about the strike zone. Like it, every pitch is like if it's a tad bit off the box, which the box is not perfectly correct. It's just what the TV networks have. Everyone's like, oh, how can you call that a striker? How can you call that a ball? Like. 
the umpires aren't standing there with the box. Like, they don't have the box to help them. Like, they're pretty darn good. And I think, to me, if it's close, especially with two strikes, I don't know about you guys, but, like, growing up playing baseball, like, you were always taught, like, if it's a close pitch with two strikes, you got to swing, right? And now it's like, oh, well, if it's not perfect, I'm not swinging at it. To me, I feel like if it's close, you probably should swing. But that's just me. All right, well, that'll do it for our show today. We'll be back for next week's show as Mizzou has their homecoming matchup against Ole Miss. Reminder, KCU Sports Saturday tomorrow. Tiger pregame live presented by El Rancho is at 2 o'clock. Mizzou and Troy live 3 o'clock from Faro Field here on KCOU. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week.